Thank you for downloading the Paragon Church Podcast, week one of our six-week series as we go through the book of Romans. Well, we are glad you're here with us this morning. I would ask that you open your Bibles up to the book of Romans, and we're going to be doing that for the next six weeks. I know some of you just went six weeks in the book of Romans because you've been in church long enough to know that six weeks in the book of Romans is very, very fast. But um, what I want to prepare you for is this. Anybody in here ever been whitewater rafting before? Yeah. That is an intense experience. I've, I've got to go a couple of times, a lot of fun. But there's a couple of things that uh, were very uh, noticeable in whitewater rafting. One, there's a couple of times where things get a little slow. But most of the time... It's fast, it's in your face, and if you don't hold on, you're going to get thrown out of the boat. And you're doing a lot of work in it. So what we're going to do as we go through the book of Romans is, is we're going to go through it fast, you're going to need to hold on, and you're need to going to do some work so you don't get thrown out. Over here on the table, I actually have printed off some studies for you. Totally up to you on whether or not you want to do it. Because like I said, we're going to go through Romans fast, and some of you might be like, well, you know, I, I would like to get a little bit more out of it. Great. Get one of the studies and get a little bit more out of it on your own. Okay, it's possible to do that. If you've never understood that before, that you can read your Bible outside of Sundays, it is possible. So I would encourage you to do so. Um, in that, I only printed off 10. Because uh, there are one from Monday through Friday. Go ahead and go through it. You'll be going through some things. And actually, it'll coincide. It'll end if you go Monday through Friday through these studies we put out. It'll go the same as if you were... Um, going through the entire book, and you'll end on the sixth week just like we do in six Sundays. Part of the reason why we're doing that also is this is going to lead right up to, um, right up to Easter, and then we're going to start a new series after Easter that's going to uh, be a lot of fun to get into as well. So we're excited about those things. But even with that study, if you don't want to grab one or you're like, well, there's only ten and somebody else can get one, there's lots of different study tools on the Internet. Love for you to go into it and look at those things. Now, Romans is a difficult book. There is no doubt about it. As a matter of fact, it is probably one of the most important books for us to read, most important letters for us to read that's in the Bible. At the same time, probably one of the most difficult ones. It's great to get all the information you need out of, but at the same time, it's real easy to get lost in. So we're going to take some points today, and over the next six weeks, we're going to look at some things. Another reason why we're going to kind of move through a little bit quicker, especially here at the beginning, today we're going through four chapters. I know you're going to be like, oh, great. And yeah, we're going to read every verse. No, not really. But um, we're going to look at four chapters today. Part of the reason why we're going to go so quickly through the chapters today is because over the last couple of weeks, we've already talked about a lot of things that the first couple of chapters Romans talked about with creation, the fall, the promise, the redemption that comes through Christ, and, and where we're going to spend eternity. Those things are really covered in this first first bit. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a kind of an overview look at all of this. I really do encourage you to go through it with us on a daily basis if you get a chance to. Grab your Bibles, uh, open up to the book of Romans, like I said. Even if you don't want to go through the actual study, read through the book with us over the next couple of weeks. Um, just just kind of go through the 16 chapters that are there and, and take a chapter a day and do that Two times, read through the book of Romans two times as we go through it in this kind of hurry here. So those are the things I would like to encourage you about. Um, before we get started in the book of Romans, so I'd like to give you a little bit of background. Um, first of all, it's written by a guy by the name of Paul. Most of us know uh, Paul if you're from uh, Catholic Church, uh, Lutheran Church, those things. St. Paul uh, is what we might, you might hear him as. Paul wrote many, many of the letters that became the books of the New Testament. He, he 
he uh, was writing to different churches and encouraging them in different ways. And this one he wrote in 57 AD. And I know that probably doesn't mean a whole, whole lot to you. But Paul did a lot of missionary journeys. And this one came at the end of his third missionary journey. He was in the city of Corinth. You may know what Corinth is because that's where we get the letters of First and Second Corinthians is when he wrote to those churches. But he's in the, the, in the city of Corinth, which is uh, over on the, if you, picture, if you picture Europe, it's over here kind of on the Turkey side. And then you have Italy here in the middle where Rome is. And then Spain over here. That, I guess it would be backwards for you. We could do it this way so you can understand what I'm saying. But um, what he was doing is he, he was preparing himself to go on his fourth missionary journey. And his fourth missionary journey was taking him to Spain. Now, to go from Corinth all the way to Spain was too long. It's not like they had airplanes and things like that. It was, it was a long travel. So what he was going to do is he was going to go and stop in Rome. And in the process of stopping in Rome, he was going to build kind of a home base there. And in this process of building a home base there, it was going to be an opportunity for him to go on his fourth missionary journey and be able to go back to that instead of having to go all the way back to Corinth. This is where his, his spot was going to be at, was here in Rome. So he was preparing his way, saying, guys, I'm getting ready to come and visit you. He'd never been there before. And in the process of saying, I'm coming to visit you, I'm going to stay for a little while. And as I stay, I would love to have your support, both financially, both prayerfully, all the different ways that he would need it to be able to go, be able to go out and, and, and share Christ in Spain and that western part of Europe. So as he's going to, to set all this up, he also wants to make sure that the people that he's going to visit, these churches, or this Roman church, they're Christians. And I know you might think, well, why in the world would they not be Christians? How is it be possible that they aren't Christians in all of this? Well, part of it is, is the fact that it's believed that the people here in, um, in Rome were not, the, the church wasn't started by an apostle. It wasn't started by one of the main apostles. There were Jews and Gentiles that had gone up, uh, as you read about in Acts chapter 2, and heard Peter preach at Pentecost. And when that happened, they got saved, so they came back to Rome and they started sharing it. Well, different than it is today, they didn't have a giant building to get back together to. Like they'd just gone to this amazing conference and everybody got all this great knowledge and we're all going to sit down and share together and we're going to talk about how we're going to reach our city. They, ha- they met in home churches. And some that were Jews, they met with other Jewish believers. And those who were Gentiles, they met with other Gentile believers. Well, the problem is they had taken things from here and there and all over the place. They had taken these different things, and a lot of them taken what they had had from the past. The Jewish believers, they believed in the law still, and that you had to do these things in order to be saved. And the Gentile believers, they had come from this real worldly background and it still we're holding on to that because they believed in this thing that is called grace that we'll talk about some more but they believed in this thing called grace and figured that well as long as i have a get out of hell free card i can do whatever i want so there was two different beliefs going on here and paul wanted to make sure he was setting them straight now the fine line that paul is walking is the fact that as he is there as he is there writing this out he says if i want support i can't offend these people because it's kind of like Maybe what a politician would do. When you go out drumming up support, you don't go out there telling everything they've done wrong and why they need to give you, give you support, right? You want to be on their good side to get support. Well, so Paul's at this fine line. He's in a bit of a pickle, I guess you might say. And as he's there and as he's writing this out, the good thing is, is that he's under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. 
So everything comes out exactly as he wants it to do. He gives a greeting in the first, 16, first 15 verses of, of chapter 1, and then he gets right to the main theme of exactly why he's writing this letter in verse 16 and 17 of Romans 1. So if you're in Romans 1, flip there. We're going to be reading from the NIV today. And if you don't have your Bible, we'll have it up here on the screen. It says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. And if you write in your Bible, or if you're okay with doing that, underline that. Because that is something that is very important about the book of Romans. This righteousness from God. This righteousness of God. It is revealed. And righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. And we see that in, in the gospel, it is the righteousness of God. What is this word righteousness? What is this that Paul is laying out in front of each and every one of us? What is it that, that he wants to, to see here? And as you notice this word righteousness, honestly, we could spend an entire sermon on the righteousness of God and explain what it is. We could do that. We could sit here for 45 minutes and talk about that. They have classes in school that go on and on and on at Bible schools and in seminaries that will talk about nothing but the righteousness of God. I'm going to give it to you here in about 30 seconds, okay? That's it. The righteousness of God is the fact that God is right and he is the perfect standard. Plain, simple, period. That's what it boils down to. God has a standard. It is the perfection. It is what we're aiming for and none of us can measure up. That's what the righteousness of God is. So what Paul is saying here is, is for the gospel is the righteousness of God that is revealed. A righteousness that is in fra- from, by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. What Paul is doing here is saying, to my friend the Jews, it's not about the law. And to my friends over here in the, the grace department and living by, well, we believe, but we're going to live how we want, your faith hasn't changed you. And he says, this is where we need to accomplish everything. I don't want to assume any single one of you is a Christian. That's what he's saying to all these people. Even though they go to church, even though they meet on a daily basis, even though some of them know Scripture very well, the Jewish people, they knew Scripture very well, he didn't want to assume that anybody was a Christian. And at that point in time, they weren't called Christians, they were called followers of the way. So he didn't want to assume any of that. This God being righteous, and that he's perfect and his standard is there, he, he wants to, to lay it out very clearly. So the cool thing is, is if, as you look through the book of Romans, he really appeals to it from a lawyer's sense of view. Now, some of you may not like lawyers. Some of you may. Some of you may be lawyers. So I'm apologizing if anybody here doesn't like you. But um, the whole thing is, is he comes at it and saying, here is the case that I want to present to you. God's righteousness is the standard. In order for you to follow in order for you to be a follower of a way, to be a Christian, you need to meet up to that standard. You need to meet up to this perfect, righteous standard. Unfortunately, none of you do. So he gives this cure on how to make it all happen. Well, the righteous will live by faith. And he had two passions, really. As he was writing out, he had two passions that he really, really was passionate about. And these are the two passions that we should be passionate about as well. Number one is to see people come to know Christ. That was his main passion in it all. And number two is to see those Christians, those followers of the way, grow in their walk and come closer to Christ. So really, he is laying it out here saying, the first thing I want to make sure is that you guys understand who Christ is. And second, I want to make sure that you guys understand 
how to grow closer to him. Why Christ died on the cross? Because there was a lot of, well, he died on the cross, but we need to do this also. And there was nothing that is, was added to any of that. So much like today, people in Rome struggle with law and grace. The idea of what do I have to do versus what did God do? What did Jesus' death on the cross really accomplish? And what did it really mean? Paul says, here's the answer. It's about faith. Here's the answer to your question. It is about faith. It's not about the law. It's not about what you do. It's not about how you do it. It's about faith in Jesus Christ. And that is how we are saved. That is how we are saved from this disease that we have. And of course, the funny thing is, is he lays out the cure before he ever gives them the disease. So what he has to do next, he has to lay out the disease. What's going on with everybody? And that's where Romans 1.18 picks up at. Romans 1.18, he's really laying it out uh, with the Gentiles first. It's funny because you'll see the word they, there, and them over 25 times in the next uh, about 14 verses that we're going to read. And as he says that, he is pointing specifically at the Gentiles. And because he keeps saying they because he himself was a Jewish believer. So he says they, them, and there, pointing at the Gentiles. And the funny thing is, is as he is saying it, you can almost picture the Jewish people who, um, and, and I guess the best way for us to do it today is to say, if you were going to be a Gentile, it would be like the people that are outside the church, the worldly people, the people who live in the flesh. Whatever we want to say, whatever Christian ease type term we want to use, that is what a Gentile would be, is the people who live outside of the church and live outside of God. Then the Jewish people that he's talking to really be the religious people that are in the church and always doing and always saying, well, this is what we have to do. So that might be the easy, easiest way for us. So even as we're looking and reading this, you might even take a look and say, okay, when he's talking about the Gentiles, he's actually talking about people that are outside the church. Pick it up here in verse 18 of chapter 1. It says, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all. Now, he didn't say they or there. So he's including everybody here. All the godless and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. He wanted to make sure here to point out that people, and people being everybody, but especially those that are outside saying, well, I didn't know God, I didn't know anything about Him. He's made Himself very clear. He's made himself very clear, yet they have hidden that knowledge. They have, they have said, you know what, I don't believe there's a God. I don't believe in God. It's because they're telling themselves that, not because God hasn't revealed himself. It's because that's what they want. It says, for although they knew God, verse 21, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise... They became fools. That kind of sounds like the outside world a little bit, doesn't it? Everybody has the right answer. Everybody believes in something outside of God, that there isn't a God because science does this or whatever it might be. Very clearly, he says, they claim to be wise, but they became fools and exchanged the glory of an immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings and birds and animals and reptiles. And you can almost picture right here that the Jews are reading this letter that Paul had just sent. And they're reading this letter and they're all sitting around together and they're probably sitting with Jewish believers and Gentile believers and they're looking up at the Gentiles going, yep, he's talking to you guys. It's you. Mm -hmm. 
Do you hear that about yourselves? You guys are futile in your thinking and your hearts are darkened. You got all sorts of issues, guys. Come on, seriously. I mean, be more like us. That's what he, that's what, you can almost see it happening like that. The thing is, is he says, there's a result that comes because of their thinking and their actions this way. It says, therefore, God gave them over. And as it says that, there's three different times that it says in this passage that God gave them over. Here's the first one. He gave them over in sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and they worshiped and served creative things rather than the Creator, who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. And yes, I'm just going to give you a little heads up that if you uh, need to plug your kids' ears, we're going to talk about homosexuality right here, okay? Um, It says this. It says, God gave them over to their shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way that men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. And yeah, we're talking about homosexuality here. And it's funny because that, this is one of those verses where everybody gets like, oh, see, that the Bible's against homosexuality and this is the way it is. And yes, it is. But guess what it's also against? Let's read on. It says this, Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind, so they would do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, not just homosexuality, and evil, and greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, and murder, and strife, and deceit, and malice. They are gossips. Oh, what? They're gossips? You mean a gossip is in the same level in God's eyes as a homosexual? Absolutely. Yes, it is, even if you consider it prayer group time, okay? That is it. That is it. So we need to understand that. They are gossips, and they're slanderers, and they're God-haters, and they're insolent, and they're arrogant and boastful. Uh Uh-oh, that just included me. Arrogant and boastful. I've been told that my whole life. My wife almost didn't marry me because she thought I was arrogant and boastful. I just said, no, I'm confident. Um, It's a whole, whole different thing there. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. Uh Uh-oh. All of us have just fallen into the category with everybody else. Although they know God's righteous decree. They know that righteous. They know that standard. They know exactly what it's supposed to be. They choose to do other things. Because it says that they uh, understand that God's righteous decree, that those who do such things deserve death. They even know the punishment. They do not only continue these very things, but they also approve of those who practice them. Those stinking Gentiles. I'll tell you what, and all the Jews are just sitting there shaking their heads going, you guys, I'll tell you what, there's something wrong with you all. It's a good thing that we're all good. And Paul says, whoa, hang on just a second there, brother. Hang on just a second because we got a little something we're going to talk to you about in chapter 2. We got a little something we're going to talk to you about in chapter 2. And as they're sitting there shaking their head, they're like, wait a second, no, 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 we're the, we're the church folk here. We have the scriptures. We have Abraham on our side. We've been follow, we follow all the rules, or at least we try to. We have rules and we live by them. Those guys, they don't even have rules. They just do whatever they want. And God gave them over to do whatever they want. Because he said, you know what? I'm tired of this anyway. You guys do whatever you want and you guys suffer the consequences. But the Jews, we don't do that. No, no, no. We, we try and obey. We go to church on Sundays. We do the right things. We read the scriptures. We, we even go forward to pray and get down on our hands and knees and show that we're repentant. We even, some of us have even gotten baptized. We've done all the outward things that need to be done. And that's what he's saying 
is, well, guess what, guys? Just because you've done those things doesn't make you a follower of the way. He says, you, in Romans 2, chapter 1, talking to the Jews now, therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else, for whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. Uh-oh. Wait, you mean, you mean just because we follow most of the rules, because we break one means we're like them? The answer to that question is, Absolutely, positively, okay? That's exactly what it is. He says, now we know that God's judgment against those who do do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere human being, passes judgment on them and yet does the same things, do you not think you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance and patience, not realizing that it is God's kindness that is intended to lead you to repentance? Not your good works, but God's kindness that is intended to lead you to repentance because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart. Basically saying things because you think your good works and your rituals are going to get you there and you don't need God. You are storing up wrath against yourself from the day of God's wrath when His righteous judgment will be revealed. When His standard is revealed and you don't measure up, you're in big trouble. I'll never forget a couple years ago, we got to go to SeaWorld over in San Diego. And Camden this week, he broke the 105-foot club. 100 pounds, 103 pounds, 5 foot in 5th grade. And I was like, holy moly, that's a big kid. But a couple of years ago, he wasn't quite there. We went to SeaWorld, and there was this Atlantis ride that had this huge, like, boat, but it dropped. And you had to be 48 inches tall. And he was 47. And we're like, here, we're going to get you some stuff in your shoes and give you this that little bit of height, and we're going to spike up your hair. And he went... And, he, like, his hair touched the bottom of the 48-inch thing. We're like, yeah, he's in. And, like, sorry, he's not tall enough. And he was trying to do everything, and they kept pushing him down. He's trying to get up on his tiptoes because he really wanted to go. And the whole time he was there, it didn't matter because he didn't measure up. doesn't matter how hard he tried. He wasn't going to be 48 inches tall. It's that way with us and God. We think, well, as long as I do this, I can measure up. His standard is much too much for any of us to do on our own. It is plain, it is simple, Romans says it. The Bible, it's clear throughout the New Testament. We cannot do it on our own. And he wants to make sure, Paul wants to make sure, as he's getting ready to go to Rome, and he's laid it out with the Gentiles, he's now laying out the Jews, if you guys are firmly grounded in the belief in Jesus Christ that he is your Savior, there's some things we need to help you understand. And one of them is, your good works aren't going to do it. There's not a giant scale in heaven that when you stand before God, He's going to say, okay, here's all your good works on this side. Here's all the bad things you've done. All right, you're good. Come on in. And if it goes, a door opens and you fall through the floor and you go to hell. That's not the way it's going to work. It's not that way at all. And He wants to be very clear with that. And He says, uh, for the day of God's wrath and the righteous judgment is revealed. Skip down to verse 9 of Romans chapter 2. It says, there will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil. For the first Jew, then for the Gentile. Now there's some confusion here that I see, and this might be some places where some of you might get lost. Because it says here, it says, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good. Wait a second, you just said it wasn't about doing good. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For God does not show favoritism. His wrath and his judgment as well as his salvation is for everyone. That's why it says for God doesn't show favoritism. All who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law, and all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not those who, listen to this, not those who just hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but those who obey the law. Okay, you're talking about doing again. They'll be declared righteous, right? 
So isn't that a little confusing? You just said it's not about what we do, but now you're saying it's about doing the law and doing these things. It's not about just hearing, but also doing. Let's go on to verse 17 and see what it says. Now, you, if you call yourself a Jew, if you rely on the law and boast in God, if you know his will and approve of what is superior because you are instructed by the law, if you are convinced that you are a guide for the blind and a light for those who are in the darkness, kind of talking to the church folk here, if you are an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of little children because you have the law of embodiment, of knowledge and truth, basically you're a really good religious person. You know all the stuff you need to do. And then he says in verses 21 through 24, basically, hey, guess what? You do all these things and you teach all these things. And you said this is what you're not supposed to do, yet you turn around and do it. What makes, what do you become all of a sudden? What's the word we'd like to use here? Starts with hip and ends with okrit. You know, that is the, that is the, the thing that we become when we start laying it out. And he says, guys, it isn't about what we do. And then he jumps to these rituals that we do. These rituals. Circumcision says in verse 25. Now, some of you guys are like, well, why is that in there? Well, because the Jews followed the, the ritual of what Abraham did from the very beginning, and he had gotten circumcised. And they said, well, because he did this, they, he is now saved. Funny thing is he talks about that in chapter 4, and we'll get to that here in a little bit. But he jumps to these rituals. Circumcision is the ritual that the, that the Jews did and the Gentiles didn't. Think about the rituals that we do that the outside world don't. I was laughing. Um, I, I grew up Catholic. I didn't become uh, a Christian until I was, I was 12, or I didn't, I shouldn't, that, that came out wrong. Not saying that Catholics aren't Christian. I'm, I'm saying it in the fact that I gave my life to Christ at, at age 12. doesn't matter if you're Baptist or Catholic, that's about whether or not you give your life to Christ. And, and uh, I grew up Catholic and, and very much through all the rituals, all the, all the things. Had to, go through, uh, had to go through catechism, had to go through First Communion, had to go all the, through all those kind of things. But there's a couple things I've never understood. Ash Wednesday, I never understood it. And every year, I remind myself in the morning on Ash Wednesday, don't stare at the person's forehead. It's supposed to be like that. I don't know about you guys, but every time I'm like, what do you have a big smudge in your head for? And I completely forget what it's all about. But, you know, I drive by the, uh, my office is close to a Catholic church, so on Ash Wednesday when I drive by their parking lot, it's just packed full of people. And it's like that all day long. And it's about a ritual. It's about getting that done. And it's funny because as I also uh, leave every, every time I go, I always watch people because I have to sit at a stop sign that as, as people go by in front of the Catholic Church. And so many people will do the touch the roof of their car as they drive by. I'm like, what's that all about? What, what exactly is taking place here? What are you doing? Are, is your car blessed now? Is there a reason why you have a statue on your dash? All these things, very ritual. And some people are like, oh, are you picking on Catholics? No. No, not at all, because I see the same exact thing in the Baptist church. I see the same exact things in the Pentecostal church. I see the same exact thing. All these churches, we have these rituals where we get into doing things that we think are going to get us closer to God, are going to to make Him like us better and love us more. But that's not what it's about. He actually says it here, circumcision has value if you observe the law. But if you break the law, which every single one of us does, you've become, though, as you've never been circumcised. Your rituals don't matter if you break the law. If you are afar from God, you are broken. The rest of the chapter says it's not about what you do on the outside. It's about what you let God do on the inside. You know, we have that whole theme of come as you are, be changed, go change the world. As we think about that and we think about coming as you are, 
That is the outside being dirty. But just because we put on all this, this great outer look and, and say, hey, we're dressed up real nice and pretty on Sunday mornings, or we put on a specific perfume, any of those kind of things, you know, make ourselves look real good and everybody likes it, our insides are still trash without Jesus Christ. And that's what he's trying to say to people here. Jesus himself said it to the Pharisees, the Jewish believers. He said, you know what? You guys are just like those tombs over there that are all whitewashed and pretty on the outside, yet on the inside it's nothing but dirty, rotten, disgusting, rotting bones. And Paul just brings it back right around full circle. So what he is trying to do, and Paul, like I said, he's, he's taking this as a lawyer. He says, okay, guys, my case is, is that we have to be justified by faith. Our righteousness in God is not good enough. Our goodness is not good enough when we compare to God's standard. But if we have faith in Jesus, it changes everything. It changes everything. Here's where the Jews are wrong. Here's where the Gentiles are wrong. And he lays all that stuff out. And as he's laying it all out, we get into chapter 3, start picking up in verse 9. Because he says, you know what? After all these things I've said to you, what shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? Not at all. For we have already made the charge that Jews and the Gentiles are all alike under the power of sin. All of us are sinners. As it is written, there is no one, what's that word? Righteous. There's nobody who has a good enough right standard. Not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. All have together become worthless. There is no one who does good. Not even one. Not even one. Because you know what we think is good? As long as we're better than the next guy. Right? As long as we're better than the next guy, then we're good enough. As long as we're, we're just a little bit better, we'll, we, can, we can say, hey, I'm pretty good because I'm not Hitler. Right? Well, in God's eyes, we're all sinners. We're all that way. It says their throats are open graves, their tongues practice deceit, their poison of vipers is on their lips, their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness, their feet are swift to shed blood, ruin and misery mark their ways, and the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous. Why? Because of what he laid out in verses or chapters 1 and 2. No one, and that includes me and that includes you. No one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of law, rather through the law that we become conscious of our sin. So the law is there to tell us, yeah, you're not perfect, and you're never going to be perfect. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God, that right standard has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. The righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ. How do we get the righteousness? On our own works? Come on, answer with me. What's it say? Through faith in Jesus Christ. To all who believe, there is no difference between the Jews and the Gentile. For all have sinned. There's that verse that many, many, many many of us have heard. And we get it, you know, so many times we understand one verse and we miss the whole context. He is laying it out here. This is his concluding statement of all the things. And it says, what shall we conclude then in verse 9? Here's the conclusion. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then good thing is, is then in verse 24 it says, and all are justified. Now justified is a whole new word here. 
We had this righteousness. And if you go to a Romans Bible study and really get deep into it, these are two words that are really going to hit you with. First is going to be righteousness, and then it's justified. Once again, we could do sermons on just being justified and what justified means. But I'm going to give you a real simple, easy way to remember what justified is. Justified means is just as if I had never sinned. We are declared righteous through the justification. We are justified freely by His grace through redemption. Now, redemption is another word. Okay, what's this redemption thing that he's talking about? Anybody have coupons? Anybody a coupon person? One of those people that gets on to, uh, what's that show, the, the coupon cutter show that people actually get paid to shop um, that they have on TLC? Not that I watch TLC. Uh, you know, man card, got to keep that going. Um, there, there's that show, and people go in, and they redeem a coupon. You're getting something back, right? It's the idea that you have paid, and now you're getting something back. Jesus paid for us to get us back from that thing that God had let us, you know, it says in in chapter 2 or or chapter 1 where it says, for God gave them over to three different times. Now we are getting it back. We are coming back to God. We are being redeemed because we are justified just as we had never sinned. Not the old self is getting cleaned up a little bit, but there's a whole new self, a whole new heart, a whole clean, fresh slate start. We are redeemed because we are justified. And that redemption came by Jesus Christ. Verse 25, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement. Our last big word of the day. Christ made it possible for us to be reconciled because he paid the price. He was the atonement for our sins. How did he do it? Through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because of his forbearance. He had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as just to be as the one who justifies those who have faith in Christ. We are justified by faith. So then, where is the boasting? It is excluded. Because of what law? The law that requires no works? No, because of the law that requires faith. For we maintain, we, all of us, all of us together, not Jew, not Gentile, that we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart, apart from the works of law. Or is God only the God of Jews? Is he not the God of the Gentiles too? Yes, the Gentiles too, since there is one God who will justify the circumcised, those who do the rituals by faith, and the uncircumcised that do the same without, in faith. Do we then nullify the law by this faith? All of a sudden, he throws this back in and he says, all right, guys, do we get to have a get-out-of-hell free card and do whatever we want because we're saved? People will say, hey, I'm free in Christ. I can do what I want. No, we're free to be a slave. We're free to be a slave of Christ. We are free. We are free because we are a new creation. It says, not at all. Rather, we need to uphold the law. We need to obey God. We don't need to do it first because that's what so many people say. Well, I've got to follow all these rules if, I gotta, if I'm going to go to church. No, we go to church so we can learn about following the rules. It's a big mix-up, I think, sometimes. We get that messed up. I can't go to church until I. No, we go to church, we fall in love with Jesus, and because we fall in love with Jesus, we obey out of love, not out of obligation. So let's review some big words that came out there real fast. Righteousness. God's perfect standard. We can't meet that standard on our own because God is perfect. And we cannot be in his presence because we're sinful beings. And have broken the law. And some of you are like, well, I haven't done that many bad things. Let me be very clear to you. One law broken is enough for us not to be able to stand in God's presence. And I used to use this illustration with kids. And maybe you've heard me use it before. And I apologize and I hope it's okay with you. 
But being the fact that Romans is kind of the idea of the courtroom, I want you to imagine for a second that, that you are a pretty good person. And that you only sin. You know, it says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But you're, you're a really good person. And you only sin three times a day. And a sin is any thought or action that is against God. So you only sin three times a day, which is pretty good. Because most people sin before they even get out of bed. So, um, you know, the, the thinking of, of the day, before you even get out into the car, while you're driving to work, you've sinned three times by then. But let's say you're really, really good and only sin three times a day. How many days are in a year? 365. We're going to give you the benefit of the doubt again, and we're going to say there's, you know, about 333, so a thousand sins a year. All you have is a thousand sins a year, right? That's it. That's not a big deal. Average man lives to be 70 years old. Average woman lives to be 72. So in an average lifetime, from the time that you're born, and we'll give or take the fact that you're a baby there for a little bit, so anywhere between 60 and 70,000 sins, if you only sin three times a day in your lifetime. The courtroom scene. You go before a judge. You have 60,000, 70,000 parking tickets. No, I mean, right? No big deal, right? You're going to let me go free, right? I, I, don't, I don't have to deserve the punishment for that, right? Sounds ridiculous, doesn't it, to say it like that? But when we say we're a really good person, that's exactly what we're saying. Well, I only have three sins a day, 60 or 70,000. God, I mean, no big deal, right? I mean, it's not as bad as that guy who had 100,000, right? He punished him, not me. But the cool thing is, in that courtroom setting, as we say that, we have this huge, huge book. And I hate to use the Bible as the book of sins. But let's say this is all the sins that I have, and every sin is written down in there. And this is me. That's right there. And God wants to have a relationship with me, but something is getting in the way. And that something is all of my sins. And there's no way for me to have a relationship with God. No matter how good I think I am or I want to be, there's no way for me to have it. Because all have sinned, and I am part of that all. I cannot have a relationship with God. So this is getting in the way. And there's a guy in the back of the courtroom. His name is Jesus Christ. He says, you know what, guys? Judge, Dad, why don't you go ahead and throw those sins on me? I'm going to take them on me that atonement, that redemption, that justification, just as I had never sinned. And he took it on him, and he took him on the cross, and he died for me that way. That way I am free and clear, nothing coming between me and God so that we can have a relationship. And that is how it works. That is what the book of Romans is about. The righteousness of God and how we cannot be righteous without being justified by Christ. Chapter 4, just Paul throwing in that little trump card saying, guys, just in case, just in case you want to use Abraham as your example, say, but you can't be right. Abraham didn't do it that way. Abraham first believed with faith before he was ever circumcised. Before he ever did the ritual, he first believed in faith, that God was who he was, and he believed. And if you don't believe me, go back and read it. You guys all have it memorized anyway, he says, but go ahead and go back and read it and check it out. And that's what chapter 4 is all about. It's not about what we have done or will do. It's about what God has done and is continuing to do. And that's what he wanted to lay out with everybody. I'm not sure if you guys, um, guys, I'd hope not so much, but girls maybe. Um, There's a thing called Pinterest. Anybody ever heard of that before? It's a thing on, yeah. mm -hmm. My my wife has an account, and it's a, a, 
I, I don't know. It's a Facebook type of deal that's about bragging about how cool your crafts are, I guess. I don't, I don't know exactly. I, I'm not a girl. Recipes too. Yeah, all the, all the little things that are in there. And the, um, Christy was on there, and she found one that, that was a, a picture frame. And the picture frame said, um, I love you because, and it has dot, dot, dot. And uh, you create it this way, and you write on the glass with a dry erase marker. And throughout the days and you know, weeks, you write on there. Uh, she writes notes to me, and I write notes to her that says, I love you because. And, and we, we write it on there, and hers are always way better than mine because she's much more creative than I am. And, um, and we write it on there, and I got to thinking, if Jesus or if God had to write that, had to have something on there before he ever came to know us, before he ever, uh, we were ever allowed to have a relationship with him, what would he write? I love you because what? Because before I ever knew Jesus, I wasn't some you know, rebellious hellion of a child, but I wasn't perfect. I had my issues. I did some things that, that created tension between me and my mom and dad. I did things that got me spanked. As a matter of fact, we were talking this week uh, with some people about spankings. I received my fair share, and my sisters and other brothers as well. I received theirs. Um, but the whole thing is, is that if there was something that had to say because, when Jesus says, I love you, we'd be in big trouble. But the really cool thing is, is we don't have to have a because. Because it says, and we'll see this even in the next couple of weeks as we get into it, that Christ died for us while we were still sinners. While we were still far from Him. While we still had this between us, He still loved us. And that's the reason why He died on the cross for us. And that is what Romans is all about. And I'm sorry we're going to go through this so fast, because this really is a good book. But because of my ADD, I can't do a 77-part series, because it would take me a year and a half, and I would have to probably hurt myself before it was all over. So we're going to go through it fast, and I want to challenge you to go along with us. And like I said, we have those study guides over there. If they run out, I'll print more next week. Um, otherwise, you can get stuff online. That is not my own study guide. That was something I found and had gone through before. And like, this would be a great thing. Ask questions. It's a, great for a small group. It's great for if you want to get together with your family. It's great for an individual. So I'd challenge you to do that. Grab those. If you want me to, I can even email it to you or tell you where to download it from. If you'd rather just have it online in the PDF version, that is fine as well. But I want to challenge you to do that. The other thing I want to challenge you is this. If you're sitting in here and and you've been going to church your whole life or this is the first time you've ever been in a church before, I want to challenge you to to examine your life and say, "Am, am I truly a new creation? When I gave my life over to Christ, did I say, here, this is this little part right here, change this part, but I'm going to keep the rest. I just want to be able to get out of hell free, but the rest of me, I want to keep doing what I'm doing. Or have you said your whole life, well, I've gone to church since I was a little kid. I was baptized in the Catholic Church when I was a baby. I was. I went through First Communion. I did. I've gone to catechism. I've done all the things that I have to do. I've even, I've even walked the aisle. I've gone forward in church. And I'm not sure if you're from an old Baptist church, but that was the way you got saved was you walked the aisle. You know what? That's not how you get saved. You get saved by accepting Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. And you let Him change your life. You allow Him to change your life. Not just clean up the little mess that you think needs to be cleaned up, but have a whole new heart. 
a great way I was going to bring out a bowl of pudding out here, but I decided that that probably wouldn't be the best idea because some of you might get disgusted by it. But I used to use this example as well. You know, there's, when you have pudding, I really like tapioca pudding. I don't know about you guys. Um, there's something about the little fish eyes that are in it that are so good. Um, but, you know, anytime you make tapioca pudding, let's just say I was making it up and I had a little bit of a runny nose. And I'm working on this bowl of pudding. And it's just consistently dripping into the pudding. Okay, let's just say that. Because I'm gross and it's easy for you to remember when I do gross things. I'm mixing up the pudding. And you're watching me do it. And you're just watching. Bloop, 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 falling in there. And you're like, bloop, bloop, you know. And I say, hey, I think it's ready. You want some? Unless you're a junior higher, you're going to say no. You're going to say, no, I don't want any of that. That's disgusting. And I say, well, hang on. Let me put some more tapioca mix inside of it. It'll make it better, right? As long as I just put a little bit more in there, just a little bit more good to outweigh the bad, right? That's, that's all we need. That's all. It's just, no. You're going to say, hey, let's make a whole new batch, and this time I'm going to make it, and I'm going to put Kleenexes in your nose to make sure it stops dripping. That's what we're going to do. Because it's a whole new start. And that's what God has given us. It's not about just cleaning up the bits and pieces that we think need to be cleaned up. It's about a whole new start and a whole new change. And that is what it's all about. And that's what we talked about last week. And the whole idea of going out and sharing that with people and telling them they need a life change. It's not just about becoming a better person. It's not just about becoming rich that some churches might preach. It's not just about feeling better about yourself. It's about becoming a whole new person and a follower of Christ. And if you haven't done that, I want to challenge you to do that this morning as well. 